Hello, fellow travel lovers. Cheryl and Ryan here before today's episode. We just wanted to come in a little early and say that the information in today's episode is a little out of date. So as we heard in the last episode, this week's guest is talking about being a part of the Peace Corps in Benin. But because of all the coronavirus and COVID-19 information, all of the Peace Corps volunteers have been recalled back to the United States. So the information that this week's guest, Michelle, is going to be talking about is not going to all be accurate because at the point when we talked to her, she was still in Benin and now she's she's back home. Yeah. So Michelle is back with her family and they are happy to have her. She's doing well, but definitely keep all the Peace Corps volunteers in your thoughts and prayers. Um, they don't know if they're going back to their countries or what's going to happen, really, as I think a lot of us don't know what's going on right now. So um, just want to let you know. Enjoy the episode. To India and Welcome to Take Me With You, Episode 74. I'm Ryan. And I'm Cheryl. We are two well-traveled people who want to go everywhere. But that's not going to happen. So instead, we'll travel vicariously by inviting a guest to share their unique travel stories with us. Today, we're talking to Michelle. Michelle is a Peace Corps volunteer, which Ryan and I now know what that means. Essentially, (laughs) she's working for the Peace Corps, but she can't technically say that or something like that. Um, In (laughs) Benin, welcome, Michelle. (laughs) Thank you. Hi. Hi. We're happy to have you. Michelle worked um, at the camp that I worked at. So that's how we know each other. So, yep. Yep. It was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah. And it was funny that you were telling me that the Peace Corps says that it's the hardest job you'll ever love because that's what we said at our camp, too, when we recruited our summer staff. <laughs> it's the hardest job you're all ever love. Yes. <laughs> yes. Feel like that's not, to that. <laughs> I don't know that that's the best marketing strategy. I mean, I think it's honest. It's like, you better know what you're getting into because you're going to be working hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely Um, honest. Yeah. (laughs) Honesty is good. (laughs) So, Michelle, we've got a set of questions that we typically ask our guests. So the first one is, why do you travel? I travel because I want to see other ways of living Um, because how can I expect to know everything if I just stay in one place? I think, I don't know, I've reached a point where I was putting so much pressure on myself to have everything figured out, you know, quote unquote everything. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, there's, the world is so vast, like, I want to see other cultures. I've only ever been inside one culture. So I guess just in order to have an open mind. I love that. 
That's awesome. Hmm. So what aspects yeah. of culture do you enjoy experiencing? Ooh, good question. Um, <laughs> so culture is very complex <laughs> and we actually go through to be Peace Corps volunteer. You do, depending on the post, you get pre-service training, which comes with cross-cultural training and language. And for my specific post, there's a French language requirement. So I studied French in college and now I'm using it. Um, I'm also learning a local language at my site, a language called Bariba. Um, and that is one of my favorite aspects is the language um, and kind of seeing how the context affects the language. Like French spoken in West Africa is not the same as French spoken in France. So mm. that's one thing I'm kind of like a big nerd about is languages, linguistics. That's really cool. Do you have an example? I mean, I don't know French, but do you have an example of how it's different there? Um, right. So there's a part of the culture where if you go to any market, um, you negotiate the price. So the price of something is never fixed. Hmm. Um, and you'll be negotiating with somebody and you're like, all right, 200 francs, 300 francs. And they're like, okay, fine. 200. Um, and they use the verb for to bring. They'd be like, okay, you must bring 200. And so they kind of use like loosely use verbs, I guess. That's a really specific example. They'll be like, d'accord, il faut amener 200. And I don't know. The I guess everything about French is different in West Africa, in Benin at least. Um, the cadence is different. The the vowels are more round. Um, mm. Oh, the greetings. There's a greeting. Here's one that's very different. So greetings, of course, in French they say bonjour, bonsoir, bon après-midi, um, et bonne nuit. But in Benin, there's a greeting for every situation. So they'll say bon appétit. Wow. They'll go so far as to say bon assise, so like good sit. Oh, wow. <laughs> if you see someone wow. working, if you see someone working, they'll say bon travail, which sounds condescending to an American because it means good work. They'll say bon digestion, like good luck digesting. Like there's a greeting for everything, hmm. and greeting is a huge part of the culture here. So very different from French culture. Wow. That's interesting. It sounds really um, personable. Is it a pretty personable culture there? Like are relationships important in that culture? Yes. It's very warm culture, like in terms of warm and cold culture, like you greet everybody and it's really important. Like even if you don't know somebody to acknowledge their presence, um, mm. people live very communally. So like people will watch after your kids or like you live in, um, compounds with other houses. Um, and the whole thing is referred to a house re referred to as a house. Um, so yeah, it's a very collectivist culture and very warm and family oriented mm. and community oriented, I should say. Mm. Can you talk a little bit more about you, you? You referenced warm versus cold culture. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah. So I think the most concrete example that I'm going to come back to is greeting. So, and this is obviously more textured than it's made to sound in like textbooks and stuff, but warm culture is like, people will greet you. People will say hello to you, have conversations with you um, more openly. 
if they don't know you. Whereas in the States, in my experience, you can leave your house. And if you don't want to talk to anybody, you don't have to talk to a single person. Like nobody will engage you in conversation. Everyone will just do their own thing. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there are days like often on weekends when I've been teaching all week and I've been doing my thing all week and I have to weigh my options. I'm like, okay, do I go to the market? Because I can't, I'm not anonymous here. Like, there's no, mm. no place to hide. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So I think just greeting and yeah, that's the biggest example probably. Hmm. I think we'll, I think we'll come back to that a little bit more when we talk more specifically about your experience. Um, but we need, we've got a couple more questions to get through first. Um, so I'm getting too interested. I'm I'm trying to redirect myself. Um, uh, what type of traveler are you? I would say it depends on the day. (laughs) There are days when I'm a very stressed traveler and I'm like, where's my ticket? Where's my snack? Where's my water bottle? And I'm just like, ah, frazzled. Um, <laughs> but I think with constantly having to travel for trainings or whatever, like that's being worked out of me. So mm. I say my instinct is a stressed out traveler. Like airports are not my favorite place. Um, <laughs> but I'm becoming more there. relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. So formerly stressed out becoming more relaxed i would say <laughs> are you recovering relaxed or stressed traveler <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> nice yeah. uh and what is your number one travel tip probably depending on what kind of travel you're doing either drink a lot of water or don't drink any water <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute what <laughs> You want me to explain? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. So I live in what looks like the middle of Benin, but I'm actually in what's considered the north of Benin. Um, and if I want to get south to any of the main cities where Peace Corps headquarters is, it's like an eight hour bus ride. Mm. And we wow. have two stops, exactly two stops in eight hours. Oh, to yeah yeah it's called there's one at a bus station where you can like buy snacks and another one is just called Aret PP which I'm sure you can guess what that means <laughs> so if you are taking the bus to Cotonou from Paracu you do not drink water especially if you are a woman you just don't drink water <laughs> yeah all right but on an airplane on an airplane I would say drink as much as you want <laughs> wow okay Water is a great suggestion. There are times when I feel like, why do I have a headache right now? Or like, why am I so low in my energy? And then I'm like, oh, I haven't (laughs) had water. And so Mm. I'm still learning just in life, not just in travel about how important (laughs) water is. And then you add the stress of travel and the activity and everything. Yeah, I think water is really important. And sometimes when you're traveling, water can be a lot harder to find. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to be really mindful of it, whether it's like bringing your own water bottle or like taking the opportunity. If you're in a city and there's a Starbucks, they have free water. Go get a free water, you know, or just do something to stay hydrated. So, yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. All right. So you're in Benin right now. We know that you are there as a part of the Peace Corps. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what got you 
in the Peace Corps in the first place? What got you to Benin specifically? And then a little bit about what you're what you're doing there. You've, you know, kind of made some um, allusions to things, but kind of give us sort of the overview of your current, I don't know, assignment. Is that the right word for it? Um, Yeah, that is actually the right word for it. Um, That's a good question. So I will start with what I studied in college. So I got my degree in education. So middle level humanities to be specific. Okay. Um, So that's, I'm certified to teach grades four through nine, social Mm -hmm. studies and language arts. And I got a French minor. Um, And I started studying French because I went to Haiti a few times. Um, Mm. And so from since before, okay, no, that's an awkward way to put it for like five years. Um, I've been really interested in the French speaking world outside of France itself. So Mm. my weird obsession with the French language (laughs) coupled with my education degree, I was like, I want to do something else. I don't want to just teach and just go straight into a district. If I don't have to, like, I'd like to get more diversified experience, Mm. um, personally, Um, which I know I should tread lightly. I have mad respect for every teacher I've ever met, by the way. (laughs) But I, I was like, I speak this second language. I want to use it. Yeah. So I remember being in my last quarter of classes before student teaching. And I talked to two separate professors on different occasions, just being like, Hey, like getting to the end of my degree, I don't really know what I want to do. Or I said, I, would like to do something else. Like I want to give back in some way. And I had a professor who was a returned Peace Corps volunteer who said, Hey, have you thought about the Peace Corps? And I said, no, but I'll look into it. And, um, had this same conversation with another professor Mm. who wanted to serve in the Peace Corps, but didn't and always regretted it. And he asked Mm. me the same question. Have you thought about the Peace Corps? And I was like, okay, this is a little spooky. (laughs) I'll look into the Peace Corps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, I guess it's time to look into the Peace Corps. Um, it was always just like this nebulous thing that I had heard about. And I was like, you know, dirty hippies out of college, just go and like, you know, <laughs> do whatever. Okay. <laughs> you know, know, impoverished countries. So I, I looked into it and I decided, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to look for a teaching assignment with a French language requirement. Otherwise I'll just leave it. And the first post that I found was, Benin TEFL. So teaching English is a foreign language in Benin. And it had the little magic words, French language requirement. And I was like, that is for me. <laughs> so I really just, I guess I thought about it for a while and I was like, okay, maybe I won't. Cause it, the, I shipped out for the Peace Corps in June of last year of 2019. And I wanted a one that shipped out in like August Um, but nothing was coming up and I said, okay, I really need to grab this one. So Mm -hmm. I applied, um, and miles and miles of paperwork later, (laughs) (laughs) I found myself, found myself here. And I don't know, in studying, uh, French and education, I always felt that I was trying to bridge two worlds. I was like, this is so weird, but like, I don't want to drop either of these. And then immediately upon arriving and like starting training sessions, I, was like, okay, this is where I belong. Mm. So despite it being (laughs) a hard job, I really, um, know that like, this is, this is the job for me right now. So Mm. it's a really great experience. 
Um, so like I said, I'm a TEFL volunteer and Peace Corps Benin has three sectors currently. Um, and the, the, the sectors change depending on government need or government express needs. So one thing that's cool about the Peace Corps is that they only operate in countries that invite them. So mm. Benin asked for the Peace Corps to come mm. in the sixties. So they've been here for a while, but we have health community, rural health, um, sustainable agriculture systems and TEFL. So I'm TEFL. I'm part of the teachers. Um, and I teach about half time, half time. That's not, that's not the phrase part time. <laughs> You've um, been speaking a different language. <laughs> I've been speaking a different language. You're right. <laughs> I've noticed that um, when I talk to someone who's living in another country and I'm like, Oh, you have not been speaking English very much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope. Interesting. I do not speak English. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you, you teach part time. Yeah, I do. I teach part time. And my primary duties are to teach English. So I have four classes, three classes on my own, two of sixth grade and one of seventh grade. And then I co-teach a class with my counterpart teacher. um, And we teach a sixth grade class together. And then I also lead an English club and a girls club. Wow. And yeah, I just finished my first semester. Um, Congratulations. For second semester. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it was nuts. It was nuts. It was like on top of, oh my goodness. I could talk about this forever. Like the intricacies of the Beninese school system, but on top of like a new culture, new language, languages, there's learning the school system completely Mm. foreign. Like nothing is intuitive for a foreigner. Everything is handwritten. Like there are no typed up documents, basically crazy. Um, but I live in what's considered the North. So culturally, this is the North of Benin. Um, I live in a, in a locality that is mainly Bariba people. So the ethnic group is the Bariba and it's mainly Muslim, um, with some sprinklings of some Christians from the South and some other ethnic groups. Um, what else can I say? I bike everywhere because we're not allowed that to own like motos, obviously. That jam. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, Tell us about your living situation. Oh, yeah, my living situation. So I live in a compound. So it's like a few houses that are facing each other. We have a well, um, and there's like a big courtyard area. And we actually... I'm pretty lucky. We have a lime tree, a mango tree, and an avocado tree in oh our compound. Gosh. Oh, wow. Ooh. <sighs> yeah, the fruit here, the fruit here is no joke. I have been eating a pineapple a day for like a week. <gasps> <laughs> like, Cheryl wants wow. to come visit. I'm not even exaggerating. Yes, I do. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> yeah, the fruit here is not a joke. <laughs> wow. But I live in my own little house. and. Here I have, it's two rooms. So there's like the front room where I have my couch and my gas stove and my table. And then I have a huge bed that is just obnoxiously big in my tiny bedroom. But (laughs) I wanted to treat myself, so I got a queen bed made. Um, But it's a little cement house. I live a little bit outside of the city center. So it's not super noisy. 
Um, believe it or not, this is very mild. I don't know if, what your like <laughs> thoughts are about the noise, but it's pretty quiet and it's pretty removed. So hmm. it means that it's like a 10 minute bike ride to my school, but I have no complaints. It's pretty nice, actually. That's so cool. So what did it look like? You said you had a queen bed made? Yeah. So the cool thing about, well, cool and kind of a pain <laughs> about furniture is that um, depending on, you know, if you're replacing a volunteer or if you're new, um, you get to have furniture made. So hmm. carpentry is a really common profession. So basically any furniture that anyone has in their house, they get it made. So I got to order like custom order all my furniture, which was wow. pretty cool. That's, that's the cultural yeah. difference right there. Oh my goodness. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So I got my couch made. I got to pick out like the covering for the cushions. It looks kind of like the Gormley couches, with the wood frame <laughs> and the cushions. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Gormley is the camp that you guys worked at. Yes. Yeah. We should say that. I was that. just clarifying oh, yeah, that for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gormley. Gormley. Uh, <laughs> so I think what I'm yeah. hearing right now is just like kids' voices. Like it sounds like there's like kids in the room next to you or something like that when you're talking about noise. I think that's what that's what we're hearing on our end. Yeah, that's typically what it is. Um another thing, so there are a lot of things that you just get used to after a few months, but there are just goats. They just roam <laughs> like everywhere. Not so much in like a really big city. So like in the South in Cotonou, but up here and any, any city in Benin or town or village, you will find goats. Like you will not go a single place without seeing like a goat or a herd of goats. So normally there are like goats screaming and there are roosters, <laughs> but it's the way my house is constructed that makes it so that it doesn't block any noise because mm. I have a screen door and then the windows are just like grating like shutters that open and close with like mosquito mm. netting over it. Mm. So that's why it sounds like the children are in my house. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to know what it looks like there. Like um, the terrain, what's the weather like? Um, does the whole country look pretty similar or is it, or is the North and South different? All that stuff. Yeah, that's a good question. So we are south of the Sahara, the Sahel. Um, so we don't have deserts in Benin. There are lakes and there are actually a few cities that are on, that are built on lakes with house, mm -hmm. houses on stilts, which is pretty cool. Um, but more, okay, so if we're talking in the south, um, which... Benin is, is divided up into 12 departments. So if you look at a map of Benin and you see there's a department that's right in the middle called the Colines. Um, if you're talking south of that, you see a lot of palm trees. Um, and so palm oil is very common in the south. And it's this bright red oil. When they make it, they like pound the palm nuts. Um, and you get this like crazy bright, bright red looking oil. So mm -hmm. a lot of palm trees in the south, a few lakes. Um, there's a river on the border of Niger and Benin. Um, and then if you go north, the Colines or Le Colines, that means hills. So there are a lot of like, it's just hills, like these big rock formations all throughout that department. 
Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you for just a minute. So you said Niger. That's the country that we would say Nigeria. Yes. There's Nigeria and Niger. Oh, where is Niger? I I don't see it. I'm not seeing it. Oh, oh, it's north. Oh, okay. So Nigeria is to the east of Benin and then Niger is north. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like I probably would have said that Niger, but it's Niger. I think so. I don't, (laughs) I forget which pronunciation is like the French pronunciation and which is the English. No problem. So, (laughs) I mean, I would rather call it what the, the, the local people call it because that's their country. So (laughs) Niger. Yeah. Okay. Great. And so it looks like, so Niger is kind of at the northernmost border of Benin. Yeah. And then there's also, oh boy. Niger and Burkina Faso. Yeah, that one. (laughs) And then Togo to the west. Yep. Yep. And then Ghana, even more to the west. Does it technically border Ghana as well? Is there a part of Benin that, or just on the other side of Togo? Yeah, it's just on the, it's on the other side of Togo. And then you've got the ocean on the south yep yep it's on the gulf there yeah interesting Mm -hmm. just to give our listeners some idea yeah um and as we discussed before we started recording you are north of the equator but not by much it looks like so i imagine it's pretty hot there it's pretty hot yeah (laughs) it's never cold but um so we have two seasons, essentially. There's the rainy season and the dry season, each for six months. And the first, no, it's not the first, but there are a few months toward the beginning of the dry season where um, it's what's called the harmaton, and harmaton means winds. And so it's where cool, dry winds blow down from the Sahel. And it's um, what a Beninese person would call like cold <laughs> it's not cold um but it's colder it's kinda, it feels like fall colder yeah okay. it's okay. it's funny because it it happened in like january and so i was like wow it feels like fall because the leaves die and it's windy and it's you're wearing mm. a sweater and you're like whoa um and then after that it's what's called chaleur which means heat and that mm. lasts for three months so we're in the hottest part of the year right now <laughs> mm. in and how are you doing with that? Uh, we're only about two weeks in. I'm doing okay. I'm drinking okay. a lot of water. I have a fan. <laughs> <laughs> and how hot does the hottest part of the year get? It really depends on the year. I've heard that it gets up to 115 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, gosh. Ryan, do you want to move there? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan lives in Seattle and... Do you have AC or you have like an AC unit or something? I have a portable AC unit at this point. Yeah. In Seattle. So no, I don't think Ryan wants to move there. Well, hey, it gets hot and gross here sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Not compared yeah. to Eastern well, Washington where humid. Michelle is from. No. Well, that's true. We do have more humidity. How is the humidity in Benin? Is there much humidity or is it more of a dry heat or somewhere in the middle? Yeah. So in the south. It's very humid. Mm. Um, I was just Lakosa, which is a city in for training for two weeks. And that's where I had my initial like pre-service training. And I had forgotten how gross and sticky it was all the time. And then Scheller was hitting at the same time. And I was just dying to get back to the dry north. So mm. the north is a lot drier. So yes, it's hot, but it's a dry heat. Um, so it's better. I prefer the north to the south. 
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm looking at a map down to the world and it looks like it's similar latitude to like the top of South America, like Venezuela. Yeah, it area. looks like you are um, you're nine degrees north of the equator and about two and a half degrees east of the prime meridian. So pretty close to zero zero. Wow. Yeah. I'm just trying to get an idea of like what climates would be similar. Like the Philippines looks similar. Um, Malaysia. No, Malaysia is a little further south. But yeah, so that's that's pretty hot. Yeah. It's <laughs> definitely not cold. <laughs> <laughs> so how long are you there for? The commitment altogether is 27 months because okay. we have three months of training and then two years. So um, if we're counting training... I just reached nine months, which is about a third of my service. So I will be here until September 2021. Very cool. Nice. And how, um, so you're nine months in. So where, where was the, um, part where you felt the most, the most culture shock? Like at what point, how many months in about? It's a good question. Um, it's, it's weird because I didn't feel culture shock in the same, in the sense, or I guess it wasn't how I imagined culture shock to be, uh, was really just, it was about six months in and I just was homesick and it was just like little things here and there were getting to me. Like it just like little things pile up, like your power goes out or your vegetables go bad or like you get like a stomach bug and you just are like if one more thing happens to me like I'm just gonna like scream so it just I think it had just built built up to a point and I was feeling kind of isolated um and I think that's probably the closest to culture shock where it was just like wow I'm in a completely different place and I miss home I just want to wear a sweater and like drink a latte (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm curious you had talked earlier about you know, it being uh, a more warm culture, obviously not talking about the temperature, but just as far as relationally and going out and you said you can't be anonymous and there's always people and there's always sounds and you always hear things and there's goats and they're all of that. Uh, ha- I'm an introvert. That sounds very stressful to me. Uh, what has adjusting to that cultural difference been like for you? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. So um, there are some things that you adjust to right away. Like it's this is something in French as well. But Beninese take this like to a T. So they say bon appetit. Anytime you see someone eating or they're about to eat, um, doesn't matter if you know them or not, you say bon appetit. Um, And so like... You, even when we're in with other volunteers and we're eating, everyone says bon appetit. Like, and not even ironic anymore. Like we just, it's force of habit. Like we always mm-hmm. say now bon appetit. part of your life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny there, even <laughs> there's even a phrase you can say to get someone to notice that you're eating. You say mangeons, which, which means like, let's eat. Or you say, there are a few phrases where it's like you're trying to get the person's attention so that they tell you bon appetit. And I know like there are times when I'm eating in a restaurant 
and other Beninese people come in and they don't tell me Bon Appetit. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to get indigestion from how rude that person was. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. bon oh, they would think we were so rude in Washington then. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wow. there are things like that. Or like you always say welcome, which in like Beninese French, you say Bon Appetit. Like, well, like good arrival. So you always say welcome. Um, I think what is difficult for me is discerning who to greet. Um, I figured out, this is, this is not so much fun, but I figured out a few months in that like, oh, if I greet a big group of men as I'm riding past on my bike, that's probably not going to go well. I'm probably going to get a lot of unwanted comments. So <laughs> mm. it's really knowing who to greet. And that as much as greeting is important, I don't have to greet everybody. It's people that you know, it's people that greet you first. I think on days when I'm feeling more introverted or I'm just drained, I'm like, nobody say hi to me. Like, I don't want to greet anybody. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, it's just, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. So then for you getting rest, might be just really trying to stay away from people where whereas here it might be like i can go out i'm just not going to go out and see anyone i know and so i can still like have not have to have that interaction because yeah exactly. i think ryan has a good point like you could go to the grocery store here and you could even do self-checkout and not have to talk to anyone uh what do you it, mean you it, could it, do that i feel like that's <laughs> what i do on purpose why would we want to go to the grocery store and talk to people <laughs> yeah yeah interesting so yeah for rest for you you might just have to like stay home or go somewhere where people aren't or is there nowhere there aren't where there aren't people there there are people everywhere yeah. mm. <laughs> um i would say yeah my rest consists of staying home um mm. just like so uh, tasks like anything you can think of is done by hand so laundry is done by hand um like dishes all of those things like i get water from a well so those things are very calming like a lot of volunteers dread doing their laundry by hand because it's like you bend over these basins and you scrub your clothes by hand and you like uh it's it's <laughs> very very time consuming and like takes a lot of energy but that's something i really like so like doing chores um or I actually have a host family. So it's the family that hosted me when I visited my site during training. Um, so I'll go have dinner with them and just hang out with them because I won't be like gawked at or there's a, there's a word in Bariba that means white person. And the word is Batore, mm. which I'm sure like whoever, like if you hear that, you're not in this context, it doesn't mean anything to you, but that becomes like a, Oh, like I hear that word and I'm like, Oh, I know that I'm white, like stop reminding me. So mm. I go places where I know that I won't be called that if I want to like. Does it feel change. derogatory? It does. And this is a, this is a thing that's, that is very much like it gets lost in translation with, in terms of cultures, because I know, especially if it's children, they don't mean any harm. They're just trying to greet me. Um, but coming from a culture where like, you wouldn't dare call someone what they are with our very, like, it's just racist sensitive, you know, mm -hmm. for Americans. It's just, it's a sore spot. So the idea of it just rubs me wrong, but I, I don't know. This is something that every like Peace Corps Benin volunteer deals with. So you have different methods of saying it. So like I'll respond in local language, like my name is Michelle 
and then kids start screaming Michelle instead. So I say, Nisida Michelle. And they go, Michelle, Michelle. And it's Aww. so much better. Hmm. Yeah. So that helps that you're like speaking the language and you're like, as a way of being like, I am living here and a part of this culture now as opposed to an outsider. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That would be very odd in our culture if I said like, hello, black person. Like that would, that would not exactly. go well. <laughs> that would not go well. No. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And it's just something that like, how could a child understand that? Like they're, is essentially like if you're not counting, you know, foreigners, there's essentially no racial diversity. Like, mm. and I mean that by like every, <laughs> like Beninese people are all black, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So when they see someone else, it is very shocking. You're like, whoa, that person's so different. So I do mm-hmm. get it. Like, mm-hmm. and even sometimes I'll see other non Beninese people and I'll be like, whoa, where'd that person come from? <laughs> mm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I tried to just be like, all right. It's just a child. It's just a child. Like they don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do adults do it too though? Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. When I'm definitely less forgiving of it when it's adults. Um, <laughs> because it's such a, it's a culture that's focused on greeting. An adult should know better and greet me rather than call me what I am. <laughs> that's my mindset. But when it's a kid, I'm like, whatever. Oh, so they're, should, they're, they're like appropriate greetings then that are supposed to be used that then they don't use that because they maybe don't know that you are living there or something like that. Is that kind of what you're kind of getting at? Yeah, that is what I'm getting at. Okay. Yeah. So it's either, yeah, people just don't assume that I understand. So they won't greet me in French or in Bariba and they'll just call me Batore, which is like white person. So if someone is, if you're pa- crossing paths with someone or they show up somewhere, you should say, which is welcome. Or in Bariba, you would say, and the response is, oh, so you should say welcome. Mm. Um, mm. Or if it's the morning time, you say bonjour or you say, and the person says, oh. So yeah, there are greetings for every time of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, when it's when it's in like a like a full grown man, let's say, who just says like looks at me right in the face and says like "bature," I'm just like, all right, you're not getting any time of day from me. Like, I'm just biking away. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm trying to think of if I've experienced people gawking at me. I think in Morocco and in Japan two times i think everywhere else i've gone it feels like there's enough other tourists or diversity at least that i'm not like sticking out like a sore thumb but i think those were the two countries where it felt like people would just stare at me as i would walk by and it was yeah a really different experience i think where where we live there's just so much diversity that you have no idea like who grew up here who speaks the language who doesn't and it doesn't matter you know um so it's really interesting to be living yeah. in that and everything. But yeah. Yeah, I think it's really sweet that you just tell the kids your name and then they can be like, okay, cool. Hmm. <laughs> we speak the same language. We know her name. I like, that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So have you gotten to do anything touristy while you're there? Yes, I have done a few touristy things. So when we were, um, all of our cohort was in Lakosa and the surrounding villages there. We took a trip to Wida which is 
a city in the south which is right on the coast um and Wida has um a very interesting and kind of tragic well very tragic history so Wida is the home of the largest slave port in west africa mm. former oh, wow. largest slave port in west africa so it's home mm. to the door of no return which is a monument on the beach remembering the thousands of people that were dragged from surrounding countries wow. to be sold into the, mm. the slave trade um so we were taken there and we were told like the history of that. We also saw a mass grave, very, very heavy. Um, and that was really like really important to experience before like working and living in this country. It's also the birthplace of voodoo. So mm-hmm. we went to um, what's called the temple of pythons where they have this building and this pit with just like, mm, probably I'm terrible at big numbers, probably between 50 and 100 pythons that just like hang out like in this alive? temple and alive. Yeah. Live pythons. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we went to the temple of pythons and a lot of people held pythons, um, but there were like oh 70 gosh. of us. So wow. I was not among them. I wasn't <laughs> dying to hold a python, <laughs> but we, um, we talked to a voodoo priestess and we, like I said, we saw the mass grave. We saw the door of no return. Um, we saw a museum that had some artifacts from the Dahomey kingdom, which was the ruling ethnicity. And they were the, the kings that sold the other ethnic groups into slavery. So it was um, a really heavy trip, but it was really good to see. Um, it was kind of weird cause it was all, um, it was like heavy, heavy, heavy. Oh, let's take pictures with snakes. Heavy, heavy, <laughs> go home. So it was a, wow. an interesting, yeah, it was an interesting trip. Um, for Christmas, me and four other friends. Okay. Sorry. Another trip <laughs> for Christmas, me and five friends rented a house in Grand Popo, which is another city that's on the coast. Um, and we felt like we were transported into a different world we were in this little house together right on the beach um and it's i don't know it wasn't super touristy other than having um airbnbs and like a few Mm. restaurants that made pretty good pizza but that was another touristy place i went to um Mm. where it's just like resorts and pool like big pools and hotels and stuff um and then sounds like a nice break Oh my goodness. It was so nice. We just, it was all teachers. We were all from the education mm-hmm. sector. So we just like commiserated about, <laughs> you know, what teachers commiserate about. <laughs> and we do that a lot. And uh, ate food on the beach. Yeah. Those are the touristy things I've done. Okay, Michelle, I need to ask more about this well situation because <laughs> I just realized that that means... Like, I, I know you don't have running water, obviously, but that means, like, when you wash your hands, do you go to the well and, like, get a bucket so that you can wash your hands? Do you store water in your house? How do you shower? What is all this? <laughs> very, all very good questions. <laughs> all questions that I had moving here, like, how do I get water? <laughs> what do I do with the water? So, I do, um, 
I have one bucket that I use luckily because I'm, I think it's about five gallons. Um, because I'm really close to my well, I have a bucket that I just refill multiple times throughout the day. So okay. if I'm going to do dishes or if I'm going to shower, I go and I have my little, um, well dipper. I don't know how to translate that <laughs> bucket for the well that I take with me. And I, take a few scoops from the well um, and I bring the bucket back and there's like a, a shower slash kitchen area behind my bedroom. And I have a little bowl and you just take scoops of water and you start like with your head and then you move down and you just, you take a bucket bath. Um, All right. And it's not, yeah, it's not actually terrible. Um, during Harmaton when it was a little chillier, I would just boil some water and throw that in there and I'd have a warm bucket. Oh, bath. cool. So, yeah, so it's not as terrible as it sounds. And then usually after I take a bath, I'll have a little or shower. I'll say I have like water left, and that is what I use to wash my hands. Okay. So like whenever I wash my hands, cool. So scoop some water on. Yeah, low tech. And then low tech. <laughs> and then how about laundry? <laughs> I want to. I want to hear about this. Yeah, laundry is something that I look forward to every week tomorrow's laundry day and i'm really excited um so i have two metal basins um so the first basin is where i put the clothes in get them wet and then i use a bar of soap instead of powdered soap Mm, um and you get the clothes wet and then you rub the soap on the clothes and you scrub the clothes until i don't know it's kind of just a judgment call but you scrub like you you suds up the clothes and then you scrub them and you wring it out and then you rinse it um which (laughs) um like if you see ben and these people doing laundry like this can be a very involved process there can be like multiple rinsings and washings um they really value cleanliness in this culture like in just in ben in in general um but yeah it essentially just is like you beat the crap out of your clothes until they're clean and then (laughs) hang them out on the line to dry (laughs) and do you wear like jeans or things like that over there or did you get all new clothes or um how do you dress yeah that's a good question as well they told us um not to bring too many clothes because we would get local clothes made so there is um Dutch printed wax fabric in all these beautiful bright colors that you can buy. Um, you buy the amount, like however many meters you want, and then you take it to a tailor or a seamstress and get dresses made, like pants, mm-hmm. shirt combos, um, some traditional styles. Like there's one that's called the bomba, which is a very simple style. Like women get scarves and the bomba made and all matching. And so I have a few, or I guess more than I realize. I have a lot of dresses that are made of local fabric. So I wear those. Um, but I also wear my Western clothes when I'm feeling lazy or (laughs) when I just am like missing home a little more, or I'm feeling, um, not so much like myself. I'll wear some of my Western clothes. Um, I don't wear jeans as much just cause they're very hard to wash. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And how about, what is the modesty like for, I mean, specifically for women over there? Yeah. So women, actually, I think both women and men, they're not supposed to show their knees. 
Like, okay. I don't think, unless it's a child, like neither men nor women show their knees, but especially for women. So hmm. if you're hopping on the back of a moto or if you're biking, you still have to keep your knees, sh- knees covered, which is my daily struggle is how do I ride my bike to school without showing my knees and I'm wearing a dress. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I'm in a Muslim locality. So, so women here wear hijabs. I've only seen a few women wearing the full burqa, um, but women wear hijabs and sometimes actually the, they have hijabs that cover their whole body, but it's, it's, so I think it's still hijab. It's just super long. Um, cause the way they make it, it's not like a scarf. They make them so that they fit their head and they kind of pull them over and there's a hole. Um, okay. so a lot of women wear those or just like regular head scarves. Um, but yeah, I think shoulders are typically fine depending on where you're going. You can show your shoulders, not at work. Like as a teacher, you shouldn't show your shoulders or your armpits, which is weird. <laughs> I mean, who really wants to look at armpits anyway? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if point. that it's has to do point. anything with cleanliness though. Like mm-hmm. if they're really interested in cleanliness as a culture, if that's related to not showing armpits, no idea. Speculation. <laughs> well, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing about your experience in the Peace Corps and been in thus far. Um, we loved hearing about it. I have a couple follow-up questions for you before we move on to our final segment. So um, based on the title of our podcast, Take Me With You, if you could take us with you to just one thing in Benin so far, what would it be and why? I would bring you to my village in Dali. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, because it's in the north of Benin. Um, it's in a very central place in terms of travel so there's like pretty rich diversity like very like mostly bariba ethnicity but a lot of different cultures um come to a confluence point here um and like say you were to visit people would know me and i would know the spots um and it has it's i don't know it feels a lot like my hometown like it it's it's not quite a city but it's not quite a village it's like kind of a big town or like a small city. So it's just, it's a cozy place. Yeah. Mm. I bring it to my village. Love that. Awesome. And um, I don't know if you have an answer to this one or not, but what's your next trip? Ooh, that is an easy one. So <laughs> um, we get what's called a readjustment allowance, which is supposed to help us readjust to life after the Peace Corps. Um, and my older sister, Leslie, lives in Dublin. And I went to see her last year in preparation for, you know, I'm not going to see you for two years. I want to come see you. So I went to see her in Dublin last year at this time. So once I close out my service, um, before heading back all the way to the States, I'm going to go to Dublin and hang out with her and maybe we'll go. Nice. To Paris again. That's awesome. That'll be fun. Very cool. Yeah. And do you have any travel questions for us? Oh, <laughs> have you ever gone to a place and been able to use the language? Like, have you gone to a place where like maybe you took Spanish and then you went to a Spanish speaking country or something? Yes, I have. I've gone to Spain four times and I speak Spanish. And um, the last time I went there, I was there for three weeks and um, didn't travel with anybody. And so I stayed with one American couple, but then I stayed with um, 
other people who were locals. And um, so there were there were days where I realized I didn't speak any English. And um, it was really it was so cool. I think it was the furthest I ever got in being able to speak another language. Um, and it, it was interesting how even it was like, I mean, what, like 15 years or I guess like 10 years or maybe 12 years since I had taken a Spanish class um, and how much vocab came back and how many conjugations mm-hmm. came back. Like there were these things where I was like, I did not know that that was still in my brain. And um, that was awesome. And now I'm like, now I need to go like live there for a while so that I could like fully actually learn the language because I am not anywhere near fluent. But it was such a good experience. Yeah, it was very. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, it was hard, but it was good. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mean not so much. Because <laughs> um, I went to quite a few Spanish-speaking countries. Not quite a few. I went to a few Spanish-speaking countries in high school, but before I had taken Spanish. So I didn't know the language. And then when I took Spanish, most of my travel has been to non-Spanish-speaking countries. So I haven't really had an opportunity to practice it. The place that I've been to the most that I've talked about uh, on this podcast a lot is Slovenia. And I'm definitely not fluent in Slovene. <laughs> um, and it's one of those two. I'm also a perfectionist, which does not work well with language learning because I don't want to say it if it's not right. And I know intellectually that the best way to learn a language is to just dive in and do your best. And yet that like grates against me at the core Mm -hmm. of my being. And so even though intellectually, I know that that's the best way to learn a language and to do it better. It's so hard for me to do that. Not your personality. Yeah. It's so hard for me to do that. And so all, I mean, it's pretty common to to understand more than you speak, (laughs) but you know, like there would be times Mm -hmm. I can be in Slovenia and I don't actually know the words that they're saying, but from context clues and some of the words that I do pick up on, I can get the gist of what's going on. So like there's been some of that, mm-hmm. but never me speaking and feeling ever confident mm. ever. <laughs> I'd love so, to. Yeah, the, <laughs> the couple that I stayed with in Madrid, they're from the state, um, but they've lived in Spain for like 20 years or something like that. Um, and I asked them, I asked the husband, I asked them, what language they speak just the two of them like when they're alone um and he was like oh we speak english when it's us because he was like you know we we met in the states and that's our language together mm-hmm. and everything and so um and he yeah. said his wife never learned spanish quite as well as he did and he was it's because i'm not afraid to put my foot in my mouth and so he like i think he mm-hmm. tries more and mm-hmm. because of that he's better at spanish and she's more careful and doesn't mm-hmm. want to be embarrassed by saying it wrong so that's exactly yeah what you're saying right yep. yeah cool all right I make mistakes all that yeah really <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and move to the last section of our podcast called wish you were here during this segment each of the three of us is going to highlight a travel attraction from the places that we've been we can think of it kind of like a little postcard or a snapshot that says hey this thing was cool i wish you were here with me so that's what we're gonna do michelle what would you like to do for your wish you were here so I will bring mine back to Dublin, inner city Dublin. Um, it's a cafe called the Fumbly, which is spelled F-U-M-B-A-L-L-Y. And I don't know. I don't know if words can really describe it. It's just this earthy little corner cafe with huge windows and um, really neat art collection. And they just serve like 
earthy home-baked goods, delicious oat milk mm. lattes, um, just a really warm, like welcoming staff. Um, it's definitely a place that I've found myself being homesick for, even though I'm not from, I'm not a Dubliner, but mm. it's just one of those places that like kind of calls you back every time. So yeah, the mm. Fumbly Cafe in Dublin. Nice. Nice. Love a good cafe. All right, yep. Cheryl, what would you like to do for your wish you were here? I want to talk about the Jelly Belly Factory in California. I've actually been there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Only once when I was a kid, so I don't remember a lot. So I, I'd be curious to, to, to hear a, a better recollection of it than I probably have. I went there in college um, one time. And the funny thing is I'm looking at where it is and it's i assumed it would be right off of i-5 because i went there on a road trip one time with my family um but it looks like it's actually off of highway 80 in like the northern california area i just in, remember um, being out in the fairfield yeah 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 so i think it's a good like road trip spot if you're on a road trip in northern mm. california it's a fun spot to check out so you can do a factory tour which is really fun and they talk about you know how they're made or like they told a story about how when they were working on making those Harry Potter like the Bernie Bots every flavored mm. beans that they were trying to make um actually they think they were one time trying to make a pizza one and it ended up smelling and like vomit so then they actually used oh, that recipe to make their gross. vomit bean um because it didn't go so well and they said like the whole factory <laughs> smells like whatever bean oh, they're making which is really interesting gross. um I'm just picturing yeah. the vomit one when they're making the vomit one. <laughs> Which sounds Gross. fun. I know. Yeah, it sounds fun, though, if they're making like your favorite flavor, you know, that you could just like smell that in the air. Um, and then the gift shop is really fun, too. My family, we bought belly yes. flops which are the like misshapen jelly bellies that didn't make it to the packages. So they sell them at a pretty good discount. And then they're all like these wonky weird shapes where it's like three jelly bellies together or things like that. Um, and I probably had way too much sugar that day because jelly belly combinations are like one of my favorite things where you try to make fun flavors out of them and everything. So um, yeah, it's the fun. If you're into a factory tour, I would totally recommend it. Um, check out the jelly belly factory. Ryan, uh, I'm going to do a local one here in Seattle, and it's one that I've been to a bunch of times because I take my astronomy students there on a field trip every year. And that is the planetarium at the University of Washington. So the University of Washington has a planetarium. Which, Ooh. in case sometimes people get confused between a planetarium and an observatory, observatory has a telescope. Planetarium is the room where they project on the dome type ceiling so they can make it look like the night sky and stuff. And okay. anymore, if, if, if it's been a long time since you've been to a planetarium, definitely go to one now because now that they're digital and not kind of the analog, they can project really? all sorts of stuff. So they'll zoom through the solar system and zoom in and zoom out. So it's more than just the stars. And it is the stars which is cool, but they can do a lot more. And the UW Planetarium will do free shows to the public in the evenings. They're usually run by students at the school who are studying astronomy, which is really cool. And they just do a really good job. It's a, it's a great experience. There's some other cool things uh, at UW as well. At the other end of the campus, they do have an observatory with a decent sized telescope and they'll do star parties and things like that. They've got all the information on their website, but it's a super fun thing 
thing, especially in the summer, if it's clear, you know, like in August here in the Seattle area, when we usually have some decent weather um, to go out in an evening and kind of look at the look at the stars and go in and see a show. And it's super fun. Nice. I want to go. Yeah. I haven't gone yeah. since I was a That's kid. Good. Yeah. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Yes. Um, <laughs> I want to plug simply the country I've been in. Um, it has Aww. a rich history, um, a really important history in terms of like the African diaspora and just the voodoo religion. Um, and it's not often that I say Benin and mm. someone knows where I'm talking about. So yeah, look at that. That would be awesome. Nice. All right. We would love it if you would follow us on social media. We are at Tim Wee Podcast. That's T-M-W-Y for Take Me With You Podcast on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us at timweepodcast at gmail.com. Send us suggestions of guests we should have on, places we should cover. Maybe tell us a story about a time when you felt particularly out of place in a culture. You can also call us and leave us a voicemail at 406-763-8699. Or another way to remember is 406-POD-TIMWE. Please rate and review our podcast on whatever you're using to listen to it. We'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss any new episodes and also share about this episode on social media so other people can learn about the beautiful country of Benin. As always, thank you to Beth Reed Miller for the use of her awesome artwork. You can check out more of Beth's artwork at Beth is Something. And thank you to Erica Corbin for the use of her song Round the Globe. You can listen to Erica's music wherever music is sold or streamed. Michelle, it was great having having you on the show this week. Thank you so much. And until next time, remember to take me with you. Take me with you. Can we get a sailboat chasing down the sunset as we float round and round the globe? Salty air and balmy nights guided only by the lights above and a little love. All the world is out there waiting to explore And all our troubles here want them to be 